Well, good morning, Community Church. Let's prepare our hearts as we enter into worship to honor our King and our Lord. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? I just want to read a verse to you as we start today. This comes out of Psalms 145, 18. It says this, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. So this morning we have the opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord. And the scripture says that He will be near to those who do just that. So this morning let's choose right in this moment, right now, to put all those things aside that distract us, all the things that are on the, on the mind this week. Let's choose just to lay them down at the throne room of the King. So Father God, we raise our hands to the mighty King, and we say, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we come into the house today with one goal, with one mission, to honor you, to love you, to worship you, to give you all of our praise, to give you all of our attention. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. So we call out your name. We sing praise to your name. You are worthy. You are worthy. Let's honor him this morning. Come on, let's just stretch out our hands. Father God, right now, we declare rain over the land. We declare rain over the land, Father God. We declare rain over Spruce Grove. We declare rain over Alberta, Father God. We pray right now that every home would be touched. Everybody watching online right now, Father God, that the power of the Holy Spirit would enter their homes, that salvation would begin to spring up throughout this community, Father God, that healing would begin to spring up right at this moment, that financial breakthrough would spring up right now, Father God. Father, we pray healing. We pray healing. Let it rain. Let it rain. Let it rain for that one person at home that has no hope, that's struggling. Father, right now, reach out to them. Touch them. Call them by name. Call them by name, Father God. Heal them. Move in their hearts, Jesus. Okay, pray. This morning, like no other morning, we've been singing who God is and like never happened before the words of who he is is going out into the community as we declare who he is it goes out and it falls down and it sinks into the ground oh god it's sinking into the ground who you are it's reaching the community who you are and it's watering the ground the dry and parched ground of this community is being watered by who you are by your bounty by your creation oh by your healing oh you are the way maker you are the stream in the desert oh ha you are everything that we need and you are right there when we need it and you are the water that will draw you are the water that comes down and quenches our parched souls, oh God. And so we declare it today. We see it. We see the water hitting the ground. We see who you are hitting the dry ground. And it is sinking in. Oh God, we thank you for it. And we will declare who you are and your greatness. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
As we go back into this, we know our brothers right now in British Columbia are struggling with fires. And as their brothers, as their neighbors, we have a responsibility to stand in the gap and to pray for them and to ask the Lord to come and to bring this rain that we're singing about right now physically into the land of British Columbia. So, Father God, we declare in the name of Jesus Christ that you will physically bring the rain into the land of British Columbia, Father God. We pray that the fires will come to a halt. And, Father God, that rain would fall from the sky, that rain would begin to come up from within the ground, Father God. We pray right now, God, that that land would be touched, that that land would be saturated with the rain that comes only from the Heavenly Father. So let it rain on the land. We declare it. Let it rain on the land. We declare it. Let it rain on the land. We declare it. As we go back into this, declare it over the land. So as Alberta, we pray over BC. We pray mercy over BC. We confess our judgments against BC. God, we confess and we drop them right now. And we say, oh God, as if it was us, as if we were praying for us, we pray for our province. We pray for BC. We pray the mercy of God, the mercy of God, the mercy of God, waves of mercy, waves of grace, waves of mercy, and waves of grace over this beautiful, beautiful BC, beautiful BC. Oh God, we know we're not deserving. We know we failed you, God, but God, we're asking, we're crying out for mercy. We're crying out for mercy. We need your mercy. The land needs your mercy, oh God. So we cry out today and we cover, we cover our brothers and sisters. We cover, we cover our families. Hallelujah. When we were declaring earlier the word hey, the word hey in Hebrew means behold. I felt the Lord was saying that Alberta and BC were on a precipice, that the government of Alberta was going to join with the spiritual government of BC, and we were going to see something in the news that was a beholding of the Lamb of God coming into the provinces. So we're going to just stay in this pocket. We're going to turn to the west, and we're going to release light from community for an entire community. Hallelujah. Amen. So, Lord, we declare as the government, the spiritual government, Alberta, we declare light is coming to BC in unprecedented measure, God. We declare as the spiritual government of Alberta that there is an abundance coming to BC, that in the disaster of fires, there is a refreshing of the spirit that is coming from the south to the north to the east to the west. If you're from BC, know that the Lord is speaking out of Alberta, that there is an abundance that rests on Alberta, and we are losing into BC the abundance of the Spirit of God. So we lose and we say, behold, BC, your answer is in the wind. 
Your answer is in the waves. Your answer is in the clouds. Behold, the Lamb of God is coming as visitations. I prophesy over Prince George. I prophesy over Fort St. John. I prophesy over Abbotsford. I prophesy over Kelowna, Vernon. I say the Spirit of God is going to rise up like a flood. There is a new standard coming to BC. There is a new standard of unity. There is a new standard of love in Jesus' name. We're going to sing that one more time, but I actually just feel right now this is a moment to do a actual prophetic representation of what God is doing. And I feel that there's actually people in this room, there's people watching online, we, we all have a situation. We all have a situation or we know someone going through a situation and we've continually tried to do it in our own strength. We've continually tried to look for the solution and implement our solution, but what the pure name of Jesus is saying is actually put me in that situation because you can't do it. You cannot give the perfect advice to your friend to help them get through a situation. God can. The pure name of Jesus can. And so whether you're watching at home or you're in this room, I want to just prophetically, as the team sings this one more time, let's put that situation in our hand. Put, put your hand out in front of you or your hands. Put your hands out in front of you and take that situation and put it in your hand. And as the team sings this again, as we as a church family sing this again, we declare the name of Jesus into those situations because he is good. Come on, let's give him a clap offering. Hallelujah, Lord. guys just went to church you know whether you're in this room or you're watching online maybe some of you are wondering what's going on today I'm telling you there is a healing there is a breakthrough there is something available to each one in this room because our king is in the house regardless of where our hearts are at regardless of where our minds are at When doubt creeps in, it doesn't matter. The king is in the house. And right now, I just feel he's saying, whatever that thing is, just lift it up to him. Right in your seat. Whatever it is going on, lift it up to him. Right in this moment, because he can touch it. Those of you watching online right now, the Father can touch it. That's who he is. That's who he is. That's who he is. And we celebrate him like this today, because we know he's good. We know he's faithful. And we just love him. Amen? This morning, Mr. Jim Denotter, or as I like to call him, the balloon popper. (laughs) I have terrible memories of this man from kids' church. 
popping the balloons in kids' church, and then I wouldn't get a prize because all the other boys were terrible kids. And I sat quietly while Ben fooled around, and then he popped all the balloons. Anyway, we love... Oh, yes, you are. You're really done. (laughs) And I did get a prize. (laughs) Okay, for any of you who have no idea what that was all about, I would include myself with you. So, there we go. Actually, you know what? That is, there's an interesting segue there. So thank you, Paul, Pastor Paul. And, and that is this. There are many things. Paul just prayed and I think prophetically declared something about uh, the release over a son that would come even with faithfulness in giving. So does that, does that make it sound like you're you got to pay God to do something? Oh my goodness, no. That's ugly. So, the segue here is this. There are many things that God has declared that are neither uh, uh, a reward for your, your good service, nor are they a punishment for your failings. But there are consequences. There are things that happen. So in kids' church, when kids were being unruly, the consequence was that one of the balloons on their side of the room would get popped. And each side of the room started with three balloons. And if there was somebody misbehaving, not paying attention, Joel, then... (laughs) Then... (laughs) one of us as leaders would go and just quietly reach over and pop the balloon. And clearly, there is trauma that is still there for both Ben and Paul. I think Joel just enjoyed it, but um, for Ben and Paul, there was trauma here. So, so Jen, you know, just so you're prepared, um, on, on that front... But what would happen is, yikes, the other kids would notice, and this is very positive peer pressure would then take place, because at the end of kids' church, every child would get a treat, unless there were no balloons left on their side of the room, at which point nobody from that side of the room would get a treat as they left. (laughs) Not a punishment simply a consequence. And I'll tell you what, and nobody had to earn either, right? They weren't earning the candy. The candy was, that was there for them. It's all good. Anyway, which was an interesting segue because uh, today, um, it's an interesting thing. So Chris kind of texted me Monday. He had a lot of things going on. And he asked me, would you be, would you be able to speak on Sunday? And, uh, and I said, uh, yeah, sure, if you like. And then on Wednesday night uh, here at prayer, after prayer, I said to Chris, do you have a, do you have a topic that you, know, that's, that, that you think I should speak on specifically? And without missing a beat, without stopping to think anything, he just looked at me and said, Forgiveness. And I said, oh, oh okay, um, all right, we can, I mean, I, have, I, I think I've actually spoken on that here before, so I could just bring up my old notes. No. <laughs> and, uh, and so 
I, I, I was looking at it and thinking, you know, that's, that's interesting because of some of the things in the air, because of some of what's, what's happening, even what's happening uh, like tonight, there's, there's, a, there's a meeting uh, where we're, we're getting to, to uh, have the opportunity for some of our First Nations uh, brothers and sisters to share some of what went on with residential schools. And, uh, and, and uh, I believe Doris will be with us, and, and Doris was in a residential school. Uh, that's Melody's mom. And, um, and just a, an understanding somehow of, of the whole process, not only of, of forgiving, but also of the process of coming to get forgiveness. And so I thought, that, that's, that's actually kind of deep. I mean, it's so easy to just say, well, we'll just forgive each other because that's what God says, and that's all true. But somehow the simplicity of, of the words don't always translate to a simplicity of action and, and, and of our hearts. So we just sang, you are good, you are so good, right? You're good to me. And I want to tell you something. God's laws are always for our good. God's laws are never there to cramp our style. It's like the owner's manual for your car. And it says to you, you know, don't run your engine past the red line. Don't rev it so high that it, it's going to hurt itself. Why? Because it's going to hurt itself. Well, that's cramping my style. I like to, you know, I like to take off from the lights really hard and go really fast before I have to shift, if you have a standard. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, and you're going to wreck it. So is that a punishment or is that a consequence, right? It's, it's not a punishment. It's not, you know, it's not that they put a bomb in there that's going to blow up, uh, you know, on you because, because you were so silly. It, it, it's just the way it works. So... They know something about how that engine is made, right? They know something about how it's held together. They know something about the lubricants and the things involved and the, and the seals and all of that stuff and the rods and the pistons and all of that stuff. And they know that if you go past that point, that stuff doesn't work anymore and something's going to break. Well, God's laws are a lot like that. God made you. He actually understands what works and what doesn't work for you. And so his laws are actually that thing that allow you to thrive, that allow you to, to, to you know, move ahead with health and vibrancy and all of those things that matter. Let's look at what the Bible says about the topic of forgiveness. So we'll start with Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. So we've got a pattern here. We are to forgive each other just like God forgives us. Okay? Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay. So again, we're getting this pattern. Any grievance, somebody's done something, we forgive the same way that God forgives. Luke 6, 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. 
You know, whenever you see something like that, that has a do this and this consequence, you can pretty much assume don't do this, and you don't get this consequence. So forgive, and you will be forgiven. Don't forgive, and you're not forgiven. Hmm, that doesn't sound very good. Uh, Mark 11.25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Wait, there's a so that in there. What? So that? That means if you hold anything against anyone and you don't forgive them, then your Father won't, in heaven won't be able to forgive your sins. What? Well, yeah, you've got to do this so that that can happen. If you don't do this, that can't happen. It's not, it's not well, then I'm not doing it. It's, yeah, the things haven't lined up. The key didn't go in the, in the, in the lock. It, it can't be turned. The key's required to be in there. All the tumblers have to be moved so the lock can be turned. It's a simple, consequential thing. Matthew 18, 21, 22. We all have heard this one. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not just seven times, but seven. 70 times 7. Oh, it depends on the... Some, some translations say 77. Some say 70 times 7. It's actually irrelevant. The point is, if you're still counting, you're not forgiving. <laughs> and it's a big number. So you're not just accidentally going to remember it. You would have to be tallying. So it, 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 it just means this is not about... I'm letting you off the hook this time. Letting you off the hook is not the same thing as forgiving. Okay, you can do that twice, but on the third strike, you're out. Yeah, uh, that's not what it says. So, I want to read, following from there, we're going to read this passage starting in verse 23. And, I don't know, years ago, I saw this done with Dennis Wiedrich. In fact, Dennis pulled me into this, and he had us act this out, and, and, and because it sort of worked, acting it out. So, I'm going to steal from Dennis, and I'm going to, here's the throne. I need a king. David Noble, you look kingly. Come on up here and sit on the throne, if you would. All right. He's a very quiet king. <laughs> and because of this, so this is the 70 times 7 is the, is the prior line, okay? So because of this, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Where's your account book, king? With my accountant. Uh, your, your, oh, okay. Fair enough. I need an accountant. Um, hmm. Melina, come on up here. 
keep your book with you. Come be his accountant. You stand beside him. You're going to tell him who owes what. Okay, there we go. Now, as he began the settlements, a debtor was brought to him owing 10,000 talents. Now, I have to tell you about a talent, okay? So we're going to find out two pieces of money here. One's a denarii, and a denarii was effectively one day's wages for a laborer. I'm going to call it 10 bucks because this was a, a different time, okay? Interestingly, a talent is 6,000 times one denarii. There's 6,000 denarii in a talent. So a talent is effectively 20 years wages. Got it? 20 years of a laborer's wages is one talent. This person owed 10,000 talents. That would be effectively $600 million, just over half a billion dollars. I need somebody in a suit. Gav! You wore the suit, buddy. All right. Gavin is the guy who's been living it up off the king's money. And um, he spent it all. It's gone. Half a billion dollars. And it's time to settle it because Melina has just whispered in the ear of the king... This guy owes $600 million. The king is impressed. Now, since the man was unable to pay, the master ordered that he be sold to pay his debt along with his wife and children and everything he owned. Off to liquidation world with you. Okay. Then the servant fell on his knees, careful for the suit, before him, and begged, have patience with me and I'll pay back everything, please. <laughs> then his master had compassion on him. He forgave his debt and he released him. Woo! Yeah, free, 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 you stay. So, um... The servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants, Paul. I'm just saying, Paul happened to have borrowed 100 denarii, about 1,000 bucks. Okay? Denarii is about 10 bucks. You know, 100 of them would be about $1,000. He bought the shirt, yeah. Actually, he borrowed the $1,000 because his son was sick and he needed to buy medicine for him. And yeah, yeah, so it's all good. Okay. So Gav went out and found Paul who owed him $1,000. And he grabbed him and began to choke him saying, pay me back what you owe me. <laughs> so Paul fell down and begged him, have patience with me and I'll pay you back. Look familiar? Did we see something like this just earlier? Perhaps, yeah? But he refused. And instead, he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. 
All right. Now, by the way, in prison in those days, Paul could work and, and generate a little bit of income. And so there was a chance that being in prison, he might actually have a hope of paying back that $1,000 at some point. Well, turns out there was a snitch in the crowd. Because <laughs> Joel saw the whole thing. So, when he saw what happened, he was pretty upset. So, he went and ran to the king and told him what had just happened. Well, then the master sent Joel to call Gavin to come here. Yes. <laughs> At which point, the king said, You wicked servant. I forgave all your debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had on you, in anger, his master... In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should repay all that he owed. Okay, so wait a minute. We're not done because Gav got turned over to the torturers. Okay, Lauren, I need you, buddy. Paul, captain, I need you. I need you to rough this guy up a little bit. (laughs) Okay, so he's turned over to the torturers at this point. All right, thanks, everybody. Thank you, David. Thanks, Melina. Now, wait, there's one more verse. And it says, That is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Um... Those torturers, we're going to talk about that a little bit in a minute, because that's a real thing, and, um, and, and we, we'll, we'll be there in a sec. I just want to go to one other passage here. It's a little bit familiar, but I want to know, I want to tell you that from your own mouth, every one of you has committed to walking this out already. I virtually guarantee that there is nobody in this room who has not out loud said words from this next passage. Because in Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, Jesus said, In this manner, therefore, pray, and our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Just the way that we forgive, that's how we want to be forgiven. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, this is the next verse. This continues on. 
For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is Jesus speaking. These words are in red. Okay? I think, you know, trespasses is such a old English word. The NLT would say, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And we, we have to recognize it's, it's a consequence thing, though. It's not a punishment. It's just the way it is. It's the way it's been set up. It's the way it operates. If you step off the edge of a cliff, you fall, you get hurt at the bottom. That's not a, a judgment on your stupidity. It's purely a consequence of you stepped off the cliff and you fell. And yes, that hurts, right? So, Jesus said that if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. Because, here's a, the here's a thing. So, we, we want to talk about those tormentors here for a minute, Okay. So at the end there, when Paul and, and, and Lauren were taken around out of Gav, you know, we can see that there's, there's some buffeting. There's some, there's some things going on that he's not really enjoying, right? Unforgiveness produces bitterness, okay? The Bible talks about a, a root of bitterness. The, the, the word bitterness, Cam, Cam, you'll like this. It's the Greek word for bitterness, is pikria. Okay, there we go. Uh, if, if I put in a Greek word, Cam believes I studied. So there we go. So uh, the great Greek word pikria is to make fast or to fasten together, to build by fastening together. Effectively, that's where you're building a mental case against someone. You're looking for revenge or punishment for them. That's actually the root word for bitterness in the Greek. Now, in English, the word bitterness actually comes from bite. So, cutting, cruel. In, in, in Acts chapter 8, there's a neat story about this guy, Simon, the sorcerer. This was a guy who used occultic powers, demonic powers to accomplish things. And he became a Christian. And then he was so impressed at all the miracles that, that uh, Peter was doing, etc., that he, he asked, like, how much do I got to pay in order to be able to do those kind of miracles? And uh, Peter replied, Peter was very gentle. You know, Pastor Mark always points out how all the apostles and Jesus were always so very gentle about everything. So, Acts 8, verse 20, Peter replied, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in our ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for the intent of your heart, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and captive to iniquity. He couldn't see the truth. He could not even see the love of Christ because of the bitterness that was poisoning him, and he was now held captive to iniquity, which is just your own self-thoughts, self-will. It's like, whoa, 
Because, because of that bitterness, I can't even enter into really fully. I want it. I want it so bad I'll give all my money for it. But I can't enter into it because of this bitterness. That's one of the torturers. Medically, bitterness depresses your immune system. It leads to illness um, and all sorts of illnesses. Uh, it leads to emotional disorders. Often the thoughts of your offender can begin to just consume you. You just, you just can't get out of it. Just every time something happens, it reminds you, and you, you go around and around and around about this one who hurt me, and, and, and boy, oh boy, you know, it just starts to consume you. And it does lead to spiritual deception or blindness and bondage. In 1 John 4, verse 20, it says, If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this commandment from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother as well. So to summarize that, Ephesians 4, verses 30 to 32, says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do you know that you can grieve the Holy Spirit? Like he's offering, he's offering to help us with these things. And, and we can accept that. Or we can say no, at which point it hurts his heart. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, outcry, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. Okay, so what does forgiveness actually look like? Because, I mean, it's easy. We, I think I've made the case. Forgiveness is important. Everybody agree? Yeah? yeah? Okay. Case is well made. This is, this is critical. So what does it look like? Well, in Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. When did he say that? On the cross. Did he say, Father, I'll leave this in your hands to get revenge on them? No, he didn't. He didn't actually say, God, you know, I'm okay with this, but you're keeping score, right? He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let's look at a little later on, Stephen, in Acts 7, verse 60. He's falling on his knees. Okay, here's Stephen. He's just preached a sermon to these guys. They don't like it. So they've taken rocks, and they are now throwing rocks at him, big ones. They're hitting him. They're breaking his bones. They're crushing his head. Okay? He died. While they're throwing rocks at him, and he realizes, yeah, they're not, they're not going to stop. Falling on his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow. So he wasn't just saying, God, I'll leave this in your hands to deal with. He was actually saying, God, I don't want you to hold this against them. I actually want you to forgive them. I'm going to tell you something. You will know that you have truly forgiven somebody who has wronged you 
when you can actually say, God, I don't want you to hold that against them either. I actually want you to, I've released them, and now I actually want you to release them as well. The neat thing is, God will do what he will do. Okay? He's perfect. He knows exactly what needs to happen. And by us feeling like he still needs to deal with the situation, actually we're not letting go of control. We're still trying to control it. We're still trying to suggest to God what he should have to do here. And it's not until we can fully release and honestly say, Lord, you know what? You know so much better everything about this. I actually want to release this one completely. I don't even want you to hold this against them anymore. That's the point at which you will have really forgiven. And sometimes that's the way you need to start. You need to start by saying, Father, forgive them. I'm actually having a hard time. Father, you forgive them. You do not hold them. Hold, do not hold what they've done against me, against them for eternity. Sometimes that's the way, that's the entry point to your release and your freedom. So look, do I have to forgive someone who's not sorry? Someone who's not repentant? Did you see any escape clauses in anything we've been reading so far? Did did you see any accept wins? Here's a secret. Forgiveness is less for the offender than it is for yourself. It's actually more about healing your own offense you're the offended one it's more about healing your offense than it is about not needing justice so forgiveness is actually for you because you're the one who ends up with the tormentors I've heard, you know, that there's a, I can't remember who said it uh, years ago already about, you know, holding a grudge is like drinking poison, expecting it to affect the other person. And here's the other side. And let me me just be clear again on that. It's for you. That's like saying, well, I don't, I don't like eating. I don't want to eat. Okay. Let me know how that goes for you. Like, that doesn't work, and neither does holding a grudge. It's, it's, it's the same kind of damage to your system. Here's the other side. When we hold a grudge, our offense will often become an offense to the one that we're holding a grudge against, and we end up with a vicious circle. It just, it just spirals, and it never gets better. Interestingly enough, with one of those vicious circles, it only takes one link to break. And then it can't circle anymore. But there has to be a consequence. You know what? Here's where you need to actually be able to trust God with the consequences. You actually have to be able to say, my God is big enough to take care of this whole situation. And I don't need to decide what, what needs to happen. Because here's the thing. God is the one who actually sees the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So when someone has hurt you, most often you will believe that they 
somehow meant it. Right? Like there's, either they were just careless. I mean, maybe they weren't, you know, deliberately trying to hurt me, but they were certainly careless. Or, no, they, they do that all the time to me. We're, we're, we're deciding that there's a motive involved. I'm here to tell you, you don't know the thoughts and intentions of your own heart most of the time. And you virtually never know the thoughts of inten- and intentions of somebody else's. You're assuming it based on the little bit that you saw about something that happened. But God knows the whole picture. And so he'll know what's best in their life. Far better than you do. Far better than you ever can. So when we release it to him, really we're allowing God to work in that person's life. And you'll start to care about them. This is the cool part. You can begin to pray for the one who has wounded you because you're just recognizing, Lord, I don't know what's going on in there. Seems to me, it feels to me careless or it feels to me mean, but I don't know what's really happening. Can you work in that person's life? Provide them with joy. Provide them with peace. You know, give them what they're lacking, whatever that is. That I, I'm not declaring what it is. I don't know. And I'll tell you this. Remember the $600 million? Did you know that that's you? Did you know the wages of sin is death? Justice is that we all die. Uh, And that's a spiritual death there. I'm not even talking about the physical. So I'm talking about justice is that we don't get to be with him in eternity in heaven. That's justice. Because every last one of us is guilty of sin. We've done it. At all sorts of levels, on an ongoing basis. So, the wages of sin is death. Let's not be looking for justice. (laughs) We're looking for mercy. Have mercy on me. And he did. 600 million. Yeah. And then after he gave, forgave the 600 million, then when the guy is freaking out over $1,000 and throwing somebody in jail, Joel's going to tell on him. Well, God doesn't actually need someone to tell on us because he sees it all. And so we are that man. We are the one who has been forgiven so much. So much. We don't like to think that way. But it's the truth. And anyone who's hurt us, even if they've hurt us huge, and I'm not belittling that, okay? But even if they've hurt us huge, it's less than what we've actually been forgiven. So we don't want fair for ourselves. (laughs) And if we claim that we do, then we're going 100% hardcore right turn into legalism. And it's all going to be trying to earn our salvation and we'll end up drowning in pride if we're any good at it, but mostly probably not. We'll just end up in depression. So, how can I forgive? Galen came up and said already, we can start by asking God, 
And it, it, you'd be surprised what that changes in your own heart when you ask God to release somebody. It's amazing. Second, how about repent of caring more about the here and now than about eternity? Because that's what this is all about. When I'm offended here and now, my mindset is completely wrapped up in right here, right now. And I'm completely missing the fact that there's an eternity, an eternity with God that I've stepped into already, that I'm beginning to walk out, and I've got my mind and my eyes completely off it, and I'm on the here and now right now because I'm hurt. And I'm not belittling I'm hurt. I get that. But how many of the things that we get offended about are really going to matter in eternity? Really? Well, he stole my lunch. That's not going to matter next week. Probably won't matter tonight. Second, third, because Galen gave the first one. <laughs> so all my numbers are wrong now. Um, Thank God for what he's building in you through the offense. Remember, God doesn't owe you a comfortable life without suffering. Let's read the Bible. Suffering, that's, that's a guarantee. If, yeah, anyway, that's not this sermon, so. You won't like that one. Much bitterness comes when we feel hard done by God. When we think God isn't paying the right attention and isn't doing the right things, because after all, I, I'm doing my best. I heard, I heard a, this is a hard story, okay? So there was a, a, a couple, this is true, um, they uh, lost their 30-year-old daughter, her her husband uh, murdered her, okay? And they were so upset, clearly at him, but also at God. And there was a lot of bitterness, a lot of, lot of really ugly things began happening in their lives, in their health, in their marriage, in, in all sorts of things. And then somebody said something to, the, to, I believe, the wife that really opened a key for her. And they said, you know, feels to me like there was a neighbor, there were two neighbors, and the one neighbor, every day for a month, went next door and put a $100 bill in the mailbox of the other neighbor, every day, for a month. And then they stopped. So the neighbor got mad, because they stopped. She said, you had that daughter for 30 years. That's just a, such a different picture. You know, when we can say, thank you, God, for the 30 years we did have, the level of bitterness about the fact that we didn't get another 50 or whatever dissipates. As I said, it's a hard story. I don't want to be there. Right? But it's also still true. How about viewing offenders as agents 
of God for your growth. How about that? Lord, thank you for putting that person in my life. It's so good for me. But look at Joseph's response. You remember Joseph? His brothers grabbed him, beat him, threw him in a well, pulled him out, sold him to a hairy bunch of Ishmaelites. <laughs> I'm just reading the Bible. And they take him off. They sell him into slavery in Egypt. He finally works his way as a slave up in, in a rich guy's house. So something goes completely wrong, wonky there. Then he's back in prison. Now he spends lots of time in prison. Helps two guys to get out of prison. Doesn't change. They forget all about him. Then finally he gets out of prison. And now he works his way up in, in Pharaoh's thing. And then his brothers show up. And he's able to say to them at the point where Papa dies. And now the brothers go, okay, dad's dead now. And now he's going to get his revenge. <laughs> all right. Now he's going to get his revenge. Dad's not there to, you know. And Joseph says to him, no, 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 no. What you meant for evil, and they did, you don't accidentally sell someone into slavery. (laughs) Oops, how did that happen? (laughs) Okay, what they meant for evil, God used for good. Well, thank you. (laughs) How about comparing what you owe God to what your offender owes you? Do that. Think about that for a minute. And then in this upside-down kingdom we live in, try investing in the life of your offender. This is the second mile. You know, Jesus said when you're called on to carry a pack one mile, go two. What is that? Okay, so let's set the scene here for a moment. So we had these Romans there occupying the nation of Israel. By the way, nobody likes being occupied. It's very, very, very annoying. And then the Romans create this law. We got all these soldiers, and they got to carry these heavy packs. So if they come across a native of the land, they can force them to carry the pack, but only one mile. We don't want to kill them, you know. But we can make them carry our pack for a mile. So... They do that. They would see a farmer there. They go, hey, you, I'm tired and it's hot. Carry my pack. So the guy would have to go and carry that pack for a mile. And Jesus said, do two. Why? Well, the first is just obligation. The second is where you start investing in that other person. All of a sudden, you're making a choice to do this thing. You had no choice on the first mile. But now you have a choice. What do you think that does to that soldier? No, I'll t- I'll, it's fine. I'll carry it another mile yet. Well, you don't have to do that. No, no, that's fine. I appreciate you guys are defending this land. You're just a guy who's got a job like anyone else. I'll carry that pack another mile. Whew. It's going to change how you feel about the soldier, too. It's just an odd thing. When we invest in something, we care about it. Your love will grow. And then last, I, I, I just want to say this. And this really... Um, this would be a whole sermon in itself. But you invest in the life of your offender by, or, sorry, 
Turn this around. When you are the one who has offended someone, you invest in their life when you help them to forgive you. Okay? Because remember, if they're stirred up and they're upset at you, they need the release. They need to be let out of prison. And you actually don't want the tormentors in their life either. So let's look at this for a minute. If someone comes to you with something that you recognize is valid, because we're going to talk about what happens if someone comes to you and you don't think their accusation is valid as well, because that's always the... We seldom fully agree with somebody's accusation against us, right? I mean, the reality is because we think we know a little bit more about what was in our heart, and we go, yeah, but I didn't do that on purpose. Like, why are you so upset at that? Right? That's the general... That's the general way we feel. So we'll talk about that in a sec. But what about when something's valid? I will say this. A lot of studies gone on to say that there are actually four or five different ways that apologies work. That people receive uh, a request for forgiveness or, or that they're able to release their offense. Um, Gary Chapman, for instance, the guy who did the Five Love Languages book, he and another lady got together and they, they wrote a book on this. Uh, it, it, the, the current title of the book is when, Pology, when Apology is Not Enough. Its original title was The Five Languages of Apology, but they hated the fact that it was five languages again. Um, and so they've, they've distanced from that. But interestingly enough, Galen and I found some teaching that we had back in the early 90s that was already listing all five of those exact same things. Um, so this is, a, you know, this is a, a fairly well understood thing. And that is this. When you want to help someone to forgive because you understand they've got something against you, you can help them to forgive whether or not you agree that they've got it right in all the details. And the first thing you can do is just clearly identify that you are in fact sorry. Like I'm... I'm I'm actually sorry, really. I, I have remorse in my heart. Uh, I wish this weren't so. Then make it clear that you know what you did and how it affected them. It's very important because a lot of folks, you know, you say sorry and they go, well, yeah, fine, sorry. Yeah, that's easy. You said sorry. It's real easy. By the way, if you're a person for whom sorry is enough, good on you. Uh, for most of us, it isn't. Uh, and I'm one of the ones who, for, for whom it isn't, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not enough. So make it clear that you know how it affected them. And, and, and this, is, this is one of those things. Like, for example, I could say, if, if my wife was a, a person who needed to know that I knew how it affected her, she's not, by the way, that's not her deal, and I'll, tell, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what her deal is in a minute. That way you can get over offenses with her quickly. But... <laughs> um, but if she were, and I was to say to her, like, I'm home late from work and we've got company coming, for me, it would be, it would be to say to her, listen, I am, I am so sorry that I, 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 I'm late and that I didn't prioritize getting home well enough to be here. And I realize that with company coming, that means that you've had to do all the work and you have had to do all the prep and you probably could have really used my help and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so... I would be identifying how it affected her for many of you. Is there any of you in the room that, that would, you'd say, yeah, that would really help for me to, to be able to accept your apology? 
Yeah, so there's quite a few. Okay. No, but this is, this is good. So you just know how to serve somebody in this, okay? The next one, offer to make restitution. I've got a family member for whom if you don't offer restitution, if you don't say, what can I do to make it up to you? And best yet, if you've got an idea already, if you've spent the time to figure out what you think would make it up to them, and you offer that, if you don't offer to make it up, you're not really sorry. Okay? So, okay. So just, just embrace that. Think about that a little bit. For those of you who need to go back to the video afterwards and take notes, you'll do that. Okay. Third, this is mine. Sorry. Because my wife hates this. Um, you have to, but she'll like it because I got a word now. You'll, you have to repent. Now, repent is actually the word repent means turn, right? So I was going this way, Oop, repent. Now I'm going this way. What I need to hear is that actually if the same situation comes up again or, or if you were to be able to go back and do it again, you would do it different. That you actually care enough about this that you're going to change as best as you can. You would try your best not to do the same thing again in the same situation. That's, unfortunately, somehow I'm not settled until I know that it's not just going to happen again tomorrow anyway because we haven't learned anything. It sounds pretty crass when I say it, even to me, but I can't help it. That's, that's how I feel inside, okay? And the last one is my wife's which is, I actually need to ask for forgiveness. I need to say, will you forgive me? So I will apologize. I will, I will kind of identify that I get what, what you're not happy with me about. Will you forgive me? By the way, she doesn't need that other stuff. She needs me to give her, and this is going to sound wrong, but just accept it, she needs me to give her all the power in this relationship for a moment. Uh-huh. I need to say, will you forgive me? At which point, 99 times out of 100, because this happens often. Um, <laughs> you don't live in my house. You don't know, but <laughs> I'm not the easiest guy to live with. Okay, so... Uh, you know, I, 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 will you forgive me? Mostly it's, oh, yes, I forgive you. And then it's really over. Like, she's let go now. She forgave me. It's, it's done. Now and again, she may say, give me a few minutes. And I know she's working something out with God at that point in time. And, and that's okay, because I can trust that. So that was just kind of, you know, some, some relatively simple, just understand the five languages that, that fit in actually asking and, and, and receiving forgiveness for somebody, because you're serving them in helping them forgive, okay? When you apologize, you are. What if you think the accusation is not just? So somebody comes to you and says, well, you didn't invite me because you just don't care about me. And that hurts me. And you kind of go, well, that's just so not true. Okay? Here's a little secret. You can always find grounds to ask for forgiveness. 
because you didn't do it perfect. I guarantee it. I guarantee that you haven't loved perfectly. You probably haven't laid down your life for that one. Sound familiar? There's always something that you will find that you can sincerely ask for forgiveness for. Insincerity. Don't lie. Don't claim, oh, I'm so sorry, when you're really not. But we can certainly find an attitude in ourselves that they might be reacting to. We can find, I'll go further. I'll give you a little story, no names, my life. So years ago, a friend of ours was actually offended when she discovered that we'd had some people over and she wasn't invited. Okay? And it was really neat because I felt like the Lord gave me a key in, in, in the moment. She was good, by the way, of approaching me on it right away. So good on her, really. Like, let's not let these things fester and grow. These things, it's like a sliver, man. You get it in there and you let it fester, it becomes a whole big thing. Pulling out a sliver is not a big deal. Getting rid of a big infection, that's a big deal. So, I, I was able to hear from her, to accept the, the, the thing, and to actually express my understanding of her hurt. Okay, to actually say, ouch. You know what, I, I, I realize that that might you know, that you felt left out in that. But I was also able to explain that we love her and that she'll often, but not always, be invited to things that we do. This allowed us to deal with the hurt feelings, but at the same time, it allowed us to set healthier expectations for the future. So what I was able to apologize for, partly... And this is, this is true, because when I examine my heart, I realize that there was a piece of me that had wanted to be special to her, like we're, we're, a, you know, we're special friends. So there's a pride in me that wanted to be special in her life, which created an expectation from her side that I was not going to meet. Does that make sense? Okay. So I was actually able to help set better expectations, and honestly apologize for not having been clearer in our relationship prior. Interesting thing, we remained friends for many years. Um, but what if somebody's mad at me for something I can't change? I just, I, I can't, there's nothing I can really do about this, or there's nothing, there's nothing practical that I'm going to do about this. You know what? Here's the deal. When you reach out to somebody and you show that you care how they feel, when you can articulate back to them, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to actually feel what they feel for a moment. By the way, this would be called intercession. Okay? So ask the Holy Spirit to let you feel how they feel. Justified or not, that's not the point. The point is somebody's hurting. So... If we can feel how they feel, and then we can, even, we can even tell them, ouch, realizing that this is how that, that makes you feel, I'm really sorry that this is not something I can fix. Interesting, because the person will hear that, and if they believe it, it'll still allow them out of the debtor's prison when they forgive. Right? Even though you can't change it, they're not held stuck. It's amazing. 
And when you're attempted to be offended back, you know, somebody comes to you and says, well, that really hurt me when you did this. And you think, it did what? (laughs) You're putting that on me? You know, that's the, uh uh-oh, now we're cycling. Um, Just recognize all of the things we've already discussed. (laughs) You know what? Just start by taking a breath and asking God to help you deal with this because I'm going to leave you with this and you've, most of you have heard me say this before, but you're going to hear me say it again and probably again and again and again. There's, you know, I have like three life messages. The first one, the bedrock, God is good. I hadn't said it yet, really. You know, God is good. Let's just, let's just have that settled, right? That's my number one. Let's have that settled thing. Number two, though, is this. You can be hurt in humility. But offense is a function of your pride. It is impossible to be offended in humility. I'll do it. You can be hurt in humility, but offense is a function of your pride. And it's our pride that needs to die, actually. So, when you feel offended, I'm going (laughs) to... This is really unfair to all of you now. The next time you begin to feel offended, you've got to stop and go, oh, shoot. Lord, what of me is not dead yet? And it might still happen. But if you figure it, as soon as you know this is offense, as soon as, and I'll tell you how you can tell, the difference between hurt and offense, hurt is when you sit on the tack and you go, ow! Offense is when you kick the chair. Right? I mean, offense is when you react from that pain. Pain is pain. Reaction is different. As soon as you see it, because you will, and, and I'm actually going to pray that the Holy Spirit would make us all sensitive to it. I'm going to inflict that on you right now. <laughs> Holy Spirit, would you make us all sensitive to the beginnings of offense in our own lives? As soon as we begin to take offense, as soon as we begin to stir ourselves up in anger or in in upset, Lord, would you pinpoint it immediately so we can't deny it? Because then we can submit that to him and ask him to kill that pride that's actually bringing it to offense. And then we can deal with the hurt because hurt is hurt. You know, if somebody, if, if every time I walk past Paul, he kicks me, it hurts. So cut it out. Okay. But, yeah, there you go. What are you sorry for? Anyway, sorry that you get too close to me. No, that's not it. Anyway, you know what? This is, this is very serious. This is extremely serious. I'll tell you what, if as a people, we can deal with offense quickly. Oh my goodness. The way God can use us, it'll be amazing. Can you imagine? Has there ever been a church split that wasn't caused by offense at some level? Right? I mean, honestly, let's be a people who deal with offense immediately. Let's be a people who forgive immediately. Because that's the other side of this. The thing is, if, if Paul does kick me, I can actually forgive him. 
490 times. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that this would go deep. Father, change us. Actually transform us from the inside out. Give us your perspective on things. Allow us to see things through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. I think part of it is learning how to forgive before the offense even takes place. Right? That that's just the posture that as the people of God we choose to walk in. Right? We forgive before it happens. And then grace is there immediately. That's what we want to do. We're meant to go forward as a body. We're meant to change our nation. We're meant to change our city. And there are certain things that are restraining us. And this is one of those things that has a restraint on us. And God is just putting his finger on it saying, it's time, church. It's time, body. Let's learn how to function the way the word God speaks of. So God, teach us to forgive. May we apply this to our life this moment right now, Father God. Not just agree with the concept, but actually practice the concept and truly forgive our brothers, our sisters, and all those around us. I just keep hearing the verse, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is freedom. This is the freedom that God, that Christ died on the cross for our forgiveness, and we extend forgiveness to one another. So I just want to declare it over you again. Walk in the freedom of the Lord. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Be blessed. We are not meant to be poisoned by bitterness. Well, bless you. Bless the rest of your Sunday. Have an amazing week. Make sure you shake a few hands before you leave. Give a few hugs. Goodbye.